0: You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Well, I want to share with you a little bit tonight um, some thoughts around three words: lost, sent, and witness. Firstly, lost—a lost world. Uh, what, what what exactly gets lost? Well, in the book of Genesis, we. We have this picture of things as they should be. And then suddenly, by the time we get to around chapter 2, we kind of get this sense that all in the garden is not well. Uh, Left to their own devices, we have an incredible capacity to muck it up, don't we? And uh, they're reaching out for a forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve break relationship with God. And God comes looking for them. And there's this this sweet picture or image in the cool of the evening. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Imagine the most splendid garden that you could possibly picture. And here is your heavenly Father taking a walk with you in the cool of the evening. I don't know about you, but for me, that's a picture of intimacy, and it's a, it's a picture of, of beautiful relationship. I wonder what sort of conversations, given that this would seem to be the usual practice, what sort of conversations may have transpired in those walks? You know, a little bit like, oh, I like what you did there. What, what shall I call that one? Oh, what do you think? It's got lots of legs and it's kind of making its way slowly across the, round, the ground. And you kind of think, it kind of looks like a caterpillar tractor. Shall I call it a caterpillar? And the Heavenly Father thinks to himself, that's a great idea. How do you know about caterpillar tractors? But anyway, and so, so just marvelling at God's creation. You imagine humanity in relationship Relationship with the Heavenly Father, just enjoying the cool of the evening and all of his beautiful creation. But one evening, he comes for that usual walk, and they're not there. They're not there. And when he calls out to them, finally they come out a little bit embarrassed because, well, the one skill that they don't seem to have at this point in time is that of a seamstress. And the fig leaves are looking quite awkward as they're kind of strung together a little bit. And, uh, you know, how do you explain that? You know, oh, look at us, we, we put some fig leaves together, you know, <laughs> do you like it? And it's kind of an awkward moment where the truth is they're trying to hide, and humanity has been hiding ever since. What gets lost in that moment is relationship between God and, and His people. And if you like, if we can just skip forward a little bit, so much of the Old Testament is is God reaching out to to reestablish that relationship. At first, one of the big obstacles to relationship is the fact that God is holy and mankind is not, not anymore. It is impossible for mankind, humanity, to to live up to God's righteous standards. That's the bar, and we are here. And so God has to kind of show them, well, you see, I know you're trying, but you will destroy yourselves and others unless you are able to live like this, the way I made you to live. This is where I want you to be. This is where you are. This is what it looks like. Tell you what, let me give give you laws to abide by commands to live by that will help you live up to everything that that you are supposed to be, to be truly human, to be righteous, to be holy like, like me. And throughout the Old Testament is this discovery that try as they may, the people of God are unable to reach that bar. And it all looks hopeless. We look by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, as lost, have we, lost as we ever have been. And there are some beautiful pictures in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. He records Jesus teaching on this. And if you sort of ever wondered, you know, what, what was Jesus' perspective? What was his take on the world when he was there? Here is the, the Son of God, God in flesh, come to to live and to dwell amongst us. What was his take on the world? What did he think about all of this? And we get some glimpses. He tells some some stories. The first about a a sheep who's kind of gone astray, away from the rest of the the flock. Now, Jesus here is talking about a a compassionate shepherd who is concerned about that sheep. Me? Me? Can I get up to 96, 97, 98, 99? That'll do. Let's go. But not this shepherd. No, this shepherd is 96, 97, 98, 99. That's not wrong. That's not right. Huh. One, two, three, 97, 98, 99. All right. We're going to go get that sheep. I kind of feel like, you know what? (laughs) He wandered away. Silly little tacker. Meals on wheels for the wolves. But not this shepherd. No, he is going after that sheep. And he goes and he finds that, that lost sheep and he brings it home. And the celebration, the, the, the gladness and the joy is, is amazing. The shepherd is absolutely delighted. He's found his sheep. And, and Jesus reflects that that's how it is in heaven. When, when just one person who has been astray from God, comes back into relationship with God. You cannot believe the celebration. We had a big party today for 30 years. One of many we'll have throughout this year. Nothing, nothing on the party that goes on in heaven. We had a bouncy castle. Can you imagine the bouncy castle in heaven? I imagine that it is all of the clouds. Um, There is so much celebration when just one person who has been astray comes back just like that sheep. Then there's the coin. Now, for this particular widow, she's really troubled about this coin. It means so much. It's her livelihood. It's her security. It's her pension. It's everything to her, and she's lost it. She's turned the house upside down. Have You, you know what it's like. You've lost something that's important. You cannot, for the life of you, think where it is. You feel desperate. You're, you're kicking yourself. You think, why didn't, I, why didn't I pay more attention? Why didn't I look after that more carefully? Why wasn't I more careful? You're beating yourself up. You really, really desperately want it. You can't believe you left it out of your sight. And finally, she finds it. She finds that coin, And well, she just goes, tells everybody. You know, the neighbors, everybody. She, She must have been whispering and leading it out. I've lost it. I've lost it. I don't know what to do. She was desperate. She's found it. And she's just overjoyed. Again, Jesus says, that's the sort of celebration you've got to picture is going on in heaven. When just something that he's lost gets found again. And in really bringing it home, Jesus tells a story now about a a son. And okay, the sheep had an excuse. It's fluffy and silly. The coin had an excuse. It just rolled away. It has no mind of its own whatsoever. Not my fault. I'm just rolling. No mind. The son, willful, absolutely willful. He knows better. He was brought up. He was raised in a good family, a family where hey, good stewardship and, and so forth was highly commended. All of these values have been passed on to him. And it's not just that he asks for his share of the inheritance and goes and squanders it. It's more than that. It's, it's, he's not just squandering the wealth per se. He is squandering the family values and reputation as well. It's one thing to spend the money. It's another thing to, to spend the reputation of the family. What? Did we think in those other towns where, where he is kind of just having party after party after party, that nobody knew that this is the son of such and such? And yet, here's the, here's the amazing thing. When finally that prodigal son comes to his senses, so Jesus tells us, when he comes to his senses, there he is in a pigsty, everything's spent, friends are gone. What am I doing? Why? How did I end up here? Why did I give up all of that for this? How foolish am I? Maybe if I just go back home, at least I could live like one of the servants. Even they live better than how I'm living right now. So he heads back home, the prodigal son. And his father, who had every reason to just stop him on the road way back there, go, whoa, oh, don't come any further. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. You're no son of mine. He could have, couldn't he? Maybe some people, particularly some of the Jews listening, would have said he should have. But no. This father, as it were, throwing off all dignity, runs to meet that son. Such is the love of the father. And then again, as they, as they roast up the very best of what the farm has to offer and prepare a feast for that son, there is, there is such wonderful celebration. The other son is a little bit, a little bit shocked. Hey, you he didn't, he didn't put on a party for me. And the point seemed to be, you've always been with me. You're a good lad. This party is the sort of party that you throw when somebody has been lost and they come back and they're found. That's what I'm celebrating. You're a good lad. And listen, there's sufficient reward for you, but don't lose sight of what has happened here. Someone who is lost, someone who is strayed, has come home. Let's celebrate together. It's a beautiful picture. Beautiful insights, aren't they, from Jesus, about what it means to be lost and what it means to be found. And then building on this, but not in Luke, now in Matthew chapter, chapter nine, we have this very intimate moment. It's a beautiful picture. I imagine that it's outside a town and Jesus is sort of up on a hillside. But he is, wherever he is with his disciples, he's got a good view, a good glimpse of the town. He's able to see over it. And, and he, Matthew describes, is moved with compassion. Because as he looks over this township, as he looks over these people, he observes that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But it doesn't do justice to the passage because the, the words in the Greek are richer than that. Well, firstly, the, the harassed and, and helpless. Actually, the Greek is a little bit more cast away. Not just harassed and helpless. These sheep are like, they, or these people rather, are like cast away from the shepherd. They've been scattered a wolf or some sort of disturbance has got in and scattered these sheep. They have, been, they have been cast away from the shepherd's presence. That's why they're so disturbed. But interestingly, and again, the, the Greek helps us a little bit here. The word which we translate as compassion, Jesus had compassion. Um, it's, it's, it's like he felt sick in his bowels with concern. Because, because the boughs were seen as the seat of love and pity. And I don't know if you have ever received such disturbing news that you have just felt sick to your stomach. Just seriously, just ill, like you want to throw up, like you just, oh man, I am not well. Just something that we sometimes use a language gutted, don't we? Maybe that would be a good paraphrase. Jesus looked at the township and he was gutted. Such was his compassion. Because these people had been cast away from their shepherd. The one who loves them and would would look after them. And that's the picture of being lost that I believe we find in the heart of Jesus. Jesus. Lost. Now another word, sent. Sent. The verse we all know so well is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Again, a beautiful, beautiful picture. I referred this morning to a to a concept. Um, and it's, it's Latin, but Missio Dei, the mission of God. Now, I think if we can reflect on the mistakes of the past, sometimes we're a little bit enthusiastic about what we can do for God, thinking that ministry is what we do for God, not what God does through us. And mission is, is our mission for God, because, oh, well, wow, things got terribly wrong, didn't they? We'll go fix it for God. Wasn't, isn't that what mission is? Not at all. No, This concept is the concept we see through Scripture which says, no, this is God's mission. This is God on a mission to redeem His people back. The concept is this, God Himself sends His Son. His Son sends the Spirit, His Spirit sends the Church. That's that's Missio Day. That's actually good theology. And in John 3.16, we... We start to get a little bit of a picture of, of this whole sentness, this sending. And that essentially is what the word mission means to send. If you're, on a, you're on a mission for God, you have been sent to do something by God. And Jesus then sends us in John chapter 20, verse 21, that beautiful moment, one of his resurrection appearances. Um, a friend of mine even pictures it, perhaps demonstrating and showing the disciples the the, the the holes with which you know he was crucified, where the nails went in, and maybe even showing them, maybe even holding out his hands. He says, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. In the same way that the Father has sent me, so now I... I send you. The Father sends the Son. He so loves the world that He sends the Son. And the Son so loves the world that He sends, he sends us. This morning, we actually um, had a little bit of a, we had a, a lot of kids, uh, frankly, maybe too many um, in retrospect. But, but we had a lot of kids in the service. And we did a, did kind of the main message was also like a children's talk. And so I repeated a, a children's talk that I actually did here at Eltham, I am guessing maybe 16 years ago. And uh, we had a little table set up here, and we had a box on it. And and um, for those of you who weren't here, all the kids gathered around here, we had extra space for them. And and my first mistake was not to have bouncers. Uh, I mean, I am so out of kids' ministry here. I, I This is a rude awakening for me, but but we should have had some bounces here because it was just it was just kind of crazy. But it was fun too. And uh as kids kind of gripped behind me to go play the drums and that sort of thing, I was totally out of control. But anyway, we had the box on this table and I and I said, well guess what's under this box? And some of you have heard this story before from 16 years ago, but but I, I pulled it off and there is a popcorn machine. But of course I, I didn't call it that. I said, hey it's a church and and so I amidst much, much jeering and so forth, I, I explained how this popcorn machine could be like a church, and quite simply dangling the cords, said, well, well, how do we get this going? And, and it goes, well, you've got to plug it in and turn it on. And I said, absolutely. Well, the church is the same as we plugged it in, and I switched it, switched it on, and had this kind of time to about two minutes was when the real popping action starts. And, uh, and so we turned it on. And I said, well, well, hey, in Acts, isn't that the same with the church? that the, the church is by itself, is quite powerless, but we need to be plugged into God to His Holy Spirit, and when we are, then, then there is power in, amongst God's people. And then I ask, you know, well, what, what happens when, you know it, it's turned on, and, and they knew it, it gets really hot inside. That's right. Well isn't that what happens with the church? When, when we're plugged into the, the power of God's spirit, it kind of heats up a little bit, doesn't it? And sometimes we might say, "Oh. A little bit uncomfortable, God, but, but, but we, might, we might forget that the Spirit, the Spirit of God has been sent to us by Jesus Christ himself, who loved you so much that he would die for you. Now, would he give you a bad gift? Would he give you, you know, a, a scorpion or a rock when you need bread and fish? No, he wouldn't do that, would he? No, of course not. And so when he gives us the Holy Spirit, he's giving us a wonderful gift from the Father. And so when we have that connection with the Spirit of God, things do, do kind of heat up. And I said, well, what happens as it heats up there? And I said, it pops, it pops. And of course, these crusty old little kernels that are going to break your teeth if you try to chew on them, all of a sudden they just pop open inside out, don't they? They're transformed. And now they become something delicious. And, and even people I understand who aren't particularly fans of popcorn, you know, like the smell of popcorn. There's something, something wonderful about that. It gives off a lovely aroma as well. Well, same with the church. When it heats up, that's God at work. He's transforming power, changing us from the inside out. The sort of transformation that you could never do yourself. And, and then I pointed out one difference between my popcorn machine and the church, and that is the popcorn machine you are never supposed to take the lid off but the church you are and with that i removed the lid ready for the popcorn to just go everywhere but something went wrong and it didn't it just kept sort of spewing over the sides so anyway that didn't quite work as i wanted but 16 years ago when i did it i don't know if there was a bit less popcorn machine in, uh, pop- popcorn in the machine or something but but it was fantastic the little popcorns were shooting all over the place i remember one went and hit the hit the piano a good a good 6 meters away and 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 we talked about the fact that, you know, well when we when we come together in our gathered form like this, this is a time for consecration. This is a time where we set ourselves apart once more and we remind ourselves that we are God's holy people. There's something special about this calling of His on our lives. But we don't just stay here separated from from the world as as such. No, then we get commissioned again, and we, and we go out. So here we are in our gathered form, form, but then we go out in our scattered form. And so so some of us go a few suburbs away. Others go interstate, and yet others again go overseas, sometimes just temporarily and sometimes for longer terms in order to, to serve God's purposes in the world. But that's that sent nature um, that belongs to all God's people. It's it's why in the in the foyer there we have all of those pictures of people serving cross culturally, and then a mirror. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you look in that mirror, you often recognise the person staring back at you, don't you? Have you done it? You should try that afterwards. I bet you you will recognise who is in that frame. And as you do, you're reminded, of course, that we're all on mission. We're all sent. God, God loves for us to gather together as his people, but he loves to us to, with the spirit of God within us, to, to then be sent out into the world. So lost, sent, and now witness. Lost, sent, witness. And this is where we get to, to the sent nature of the church. This is where, where Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. And we get to Acts chapter 1, and we come to this verse that says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and indeed to the ends of the earth. And, and in the grammar there, it is not Jerusalem, and then when you've sorted that out, Judea. Now, of course, don't go too far because we'll get disorganized. Sort out Judea, reach all of them, and then you'll be ready, almost like a military campaign. Can you imagine if, it, humanly speaking, if we were left to nut this out, that's exactly how we'd do it? And then once we've reached all Samaria, then we can go to the ends of the earth. That's that's not how the Greek reads. It is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Find those balloons and pop them all over the world. That's, That's our mission. God wants us to reach out globally to be His hands and His feet. But the expression here in particular is to be witnesses. Now, witnesses of what? What is it that... That we're going to to witness to. Have you ever thought about that? This week you're gonna be sent. We're gonna we're gonna have a, when we finish, in a sense, a commissioning. You know, go as God sent people. Go and be witnesses. What does that look like? What would you witness to? Years ago, I, I think we would have had an answer, something along the lines of this. You know, a very I don't know a very formulaic little approach to you know a, some sort of a testimony or something. Well, once you know, I I was was without God, and we would go through some kind of formula for explaining that, and and we would refer back to what sometimes people people call their conversion testimony. Is that is that what Jesus means here? I don't think so. I'll tell you why in a moment. I'll tell you what the big the big tip is, but. But I don't think that's what Jesus is meaning when he says witnesses. I don't think he's looking for, for you to. And, and if this kind of, you know, just, just strikes terror in your soul, even just thinking about this, it's okay. I, I believe, listen, there's good news here. You don't have to be afraid of what this, this witness means. If, if it conjures up in your mind, oh, that means I've got to... Oh. Somehow, at work or school or uni or something, speak up and say, <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and, and the next, next thing you're like some soapbox preacher in the middle of this. No, I, I, I don't, don't think that's what Jesus means at all. So, what is it that we are to be witnesses to? Well, I believe that's in, in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 4. Jesus has just spent some 40 days with the, with the disciples. And, and he's been chatting with them um, through the Holy Spirit, interestingly. He's been chatting with them um, about the nature of the, the kingdom of God. And then he tells them, he gives us these instructions. He says, I want you to wait in the city in Jerusalem until you receive the gift from my father that, that has been promised. You see, up until now, you've been baptized with water, but soon, very soon, you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Of course, that's chapter 2, that's Pentecost, and, and that's the preparation for the church, but that, I believe, is what we are witnessing to. So, you're thinking, sorry, Stuart, you're saying we're supposed to go out this week to school and uni and that sort of thing and tell people about the Holy Spirit. No. No, no, no. You're supposed to actually allow the Spirit of God, the reality of the Spirit of God within you, producing this new life, which is your everyday, current, moment-by-moment reality, that in itself will be a witness. And when people are asking you, what is it about you? How is it that I understand certain bad news has come your way, but this is what I see in you? What is it about you that could explain what I see? That's when we add add words to a life well lived. That's where in school, uni, the lunchroom, and so forth, as we, as we let the testimony of the Spirit of God who is dwelling within you and I be seen by others, that is when we also add those words which gives an explanation for that. Now, here's where we can be a little bit interactive. You might say, and you still might be thinking, all right, I'm still a little bit puzzled here. So, so the, the world is lost, I get it. I've been sent, just as Jesus was sent. And I'm being sent to be a witness. And and this is where I'm getting a bit confused, Stuart. Because what is it I do again? Like, do I have a testimony about the Spirit of God living within me? And I I want to reassure you that you do. What is it you would say? Well, you would talk about... The activity of God. God at work in your life and God at work all around you. You might think, oh, I don't know. I I don't know. Where would I see that? Do you know one of the easiest ways I think we can see it is to enter into thanksgiving. And this is where I want your help. This is where there are no sermon notes. There's no illustrations here. But I wonder, as you look back Hey, we've got 30 years as a church. Maybe you don't have that much life yet. But but look back over 30 years, 20, 10, look back over the last year, look back over the last week, the last few days, and think, what have I? Ask yourself this question What have I got to be thankful for? And now over to you. I'd love you to just answer that question. What what would we give testimony to that we would give thanks for? What would we say, thank you, God, I have seen you at work here? Okay, so that's, that's your, your mission. Now, maybe with all of the build-up, I've just made that sound terribly hard. Maybe if I just come up and say, hey, let's just have a time of Thanksgiving, you know, that would have flowed a little bit easily. But don't be put off by that, that's all right. Let's have a time of, of thanksgiving, a time of little bit of testimony here. Who'd like to start us off? Yeah, I always find that difficult. Okay, let's just jump that one. Who'd like to go second? <laughs> See, it's much easier now. You're not first, you're second. Anyone? Healthy, beautiful children. So what was that one? Healthy, beautiful children. Healthy, beautiful children. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What else? Who's, who else has got something to be thankful for? Well, that's right. Yeah, for those of you who, who missed that, here, I'll, I'll give you a quick summary. That Last year, we were a bit behind budget, and we got a, a, a lovely, we took up a special offering, and, and our, our needs were essentially met. Coming into this year well he was a bit of a step of faith for your leadership team and finance group and that sort of thing they did the sums and put it all together and and basically the budget on that we we just just brought to the church was about $90,000 more than last year so you can imagine the step of faith firstly you know we were behind budget last year god provided for us thank you lord but now we were Look, just looking at our staffing needs and so forth, we were actually suggesting a budget which was another $90,000 on. So I, I've got to tell you that that decision was not made lightly. And uh, you know there was a lot of prayer that went into that, crunching numbers again, just being sure that we felt we were doing the right thing. And do you know in January, we had, a, we had a special, special gift. Now, this is from God. We, we've got no idea, literally, we have no idea who gave it. But do you know what the, what the number was? It was $90,000. We had just, just a, a special gift. So, so here is our increase, and look at that. In the first month of the year, God has already provided. Now, don't, that doesn't mean, you know, just relax too much. You know, but, <laughs> but, but isn't God good? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I, I tell you, as a leadership team, that really, that really blessed us. Because we were, I guess we're kind of feeling, well, that's what leadership does, doesn't it? We've got to step out in faith and look, God had already provided. Isn't that amazing? Yes. So, yeah, that was, that was very special. Yeah. We had, um, how, many, how many people uh, join us in membership um, this morning's meeting? Does anyone remember? It was 11 or 12, 13. 13 people. And I, I only, I'm only i only sorry we didn't hear each of their stories. But I happen to know many of those stories of the journey that, that those people have taken. And lots to give thanks to God for there. Um, there's some very, very special stories there. Yeah. What else are you thankful to God for? Yeah, Graham? That uh, God invites us to be part of what He's doing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really could just go and do it himself far more efficiently, couldn't he? (laughs) Why you've got this perfect perfect reservoir of grace that you can authorize. It's you know how you're going to dispense it. Why why channel it through broken vessels such as us, huh? Like something's gonna get lost or go wrong, surely. But God's big enough for all of that. And yes, he involves us in his work. Amazing. Well, lovely. Now, do you see how much we've got to be thankful for? We really do. We really do have a lot to witness to. Because all of what we have just been talking about is a God who is still today passionately interested in your life and our lives together. He is not far off as the deists claim, He's near to each of us, He's ever present. His grace abounds and his spirit loves to administer that grace into our lives and through our lives to be a blessing to others. He's a loving, loving heavenly father. There is so much to be thankful for, so much to witness to. And essentially, all of that is true because of this wonderful gift that was promised. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. That wonderful gift. My spirit Spirit will come upon you. You will be baptized, dipped into, saturated with my spirit. You'll come out drenched with God. Jesus said, the glory that you gave me, I will also give to them. How else can we have the glory of God unless the spirit of God allows that glory to live within each and every one of us? And so here is the gift that the Father promised to us. Such a wonderful, wonderful gift. The Spirit of God now taking up residence in your life and mine, in our lives. There is no other way to account for that that community, that sense of family that we feel. It's not something we can orchestrate. We're just not that clever. Seriously. And that's why I do believe that the church and the unity of the church in the book of Ephesians is, is God's exhibit A See, I am real. There is no other explanation for how my church can have been united as they were and continued to fulfill my purposes throughout history. There's no other explanation for it. The church as an institution, if that's all it was, should have keeled over long ago. But still she thrives and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is God's exhibit A. I'm real. My spirit is real. He's in you. He's among you. There's no other explanation. There's a lot of gifts that God gives to the church. Yes, we're thankful for the church council. He gives us good leadership. He gives us governance principles. He gives us accountability. And he gives us all of these things. And they're fantastic things. But they and they alone do not account for this. It's the spirit of God present amongst us that, that does it. And that's what we give testimony to. That's what we are able to witness to. And so you are, as it were, God's hands and his feet. And you might feel so inadequate at times. But what if people don't listen? What if they, they won't hear us? Moses asked that. He asked that in Exodus chapter 4. You know, What if the people won't, won't listen and believe? And, and God says, well, what's in your hand? And there's Moses sees a staff, and, and in his hand was everything that he needed. And I would say to you, well, you might feel ill-equipped to be a witness for God, but and God would say, look, I've already given you opportunities in your hand. And there is family, friends, neighbors, workmates, and just people that you meet. Every day, I believe that God will give you opportunities in one of those those five areas. Family, friends, neighbors, workmates, people you meet. And he has put grace in your life. You are a carrier of the most precious cargo there possibly is in all the world. Imagine if, if all of those five areas were not just areas of your life, but were like continents right across the world. Imagine for a moment. And then you're you're carrying this precious gift, this treasure within, the grace of God. You're carrying that grace all around the world, a little bit like an airline pilot, perhaps, flying from one continent to another. Taking that grace as a pilot, flying that grace to to all of these areas. If you were to do that, if I was to do that, if, if all of God's body was to do that day after day after day, we would light up the world, wouldn't we? In fact... We might not see that, but is that God's perspective? Is that how God sees it? He's looking at all of us, carriers of grace, going throughout our day as if we were taking the grace of God from one continent to another and, and he's looking at the world just light up with grace. What a beautiful, spectacular thing it would be to see that from God's perspective. Would you, would you like a glimpse of what that just might look like to God? Would you like to see what it means for his people carrying The grace, His grace within them to light up the world? Well, let's have a look. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.